the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into hour two, it is a delight, it's a privilege, it's an honor to have in studio with me one of my favorite people in the Valley, honestly. Um, Name should be more well-known. It is well-known in certain communities. It should be more well-known. He's one of these great human beings that uh, when good things uh, generally happen here, he has his... He has his brain and his finger and his heart in it. He is Danny Seiden. He is the president and CEO of the Arizona Chamber of Commerce, azchamber.com. We were uh, talking the other day, and he was just talking about some really interesting stuff they were doing at the chamber. I said, well, come on in. I, 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 I've had you on the show. I don't know if I've had you in studio before, though. No, Danny, this is so. my first time in studio, and thanks for having me, well, Seth. I'm excited to be here. Well, I will never, I will never stand next to you in front of a camera um, because uh, it doesn't make me look very good. But on radio, you're welcome here anytime, Danny, as long as there's, we're not activating the cameras around here. Uh, I'm not the only one that thinks that about you. Uh, <laughs> you know. That's something my, only my mom would say, so thank you. So. We'll, we'll play it for uh, azchamber.com. Tell the audience, just for those that might not know a little bit about the Arizona Chamber. And then, you know, it has been a while since you've been on. I always ask guests when it's their first time, though it hasn't. It's not your first time. It's been a while. Tell them a little bit about yourself, how you came to be doing what you're doing, any autobiography, any autobiography you want. Sure. Thanks, Seth. So the Arizona Chamber of Commerce is the statewide chamber here in Arizona. And what we focus on primarily is advocacy, advocacy at the local, state and federal level on behalf of the largest coalition of employers, I should say, in this state. And we've been doing it. This is our 50th year. So we're celebrating that anniversary this year. It's very exciting. A lot of the big wins at the legislature, a lot of big wins at the state and big wins at the federal government happen um, as a result of my members advocacy. And they're always advocating for free market, low tax low regulatory. They want Arizona to be the most competitive place to do business in the world. And uh, we've had a good run. We've We've had a lot of fun. And as for me personally, you know, I think I first met you actually when I was helping run the campaign for then treasurer Doug Ducey, who was on his way to to being in the governor's office. And then I was his deputy chief of staff for really managing his legislative agenda and his federal office as well. So I worked for the governor, the prior governor, Doug Ducey, for four plus years, did the reelect left and then went and, you know, was in manufacturing, worked at Intel and was a general counsel for a cybersecurity company that sold to private equity and then joined the chamber. So here I am. Fantastic, uh, Danny. And uh, where'd you grow up? Oh, I grew up mostly in Florida. I was born in Florida. My folks split up, but my mom remarried a wonderful human being who was in the Navy. And so I grew up all around the world. I lived in Scotland for a good chunk of my childhood, which was fantastic. But always kind of came back to Florida as that home base. That's where I went to high school and spent most of the time. was with my grandparents for a little bit in Charleston, South Carolina. But Yep, Florida. I, well, I'm glad you said that. I, I had forgotten Florida, but it was a question on my mind, which it seems to me one of the things you've been very active on and maybe share with the audience a little bit. When you look at some of these states that are having out-migration, California, mm-hmm. New York, but California most pertinent to us for obvious reasons geographically, the places they're going are uh, increasingly Florida, mm-hmm. Texas, some more and more are going to Tennessee, some Arizona. How do we get more of them, and do we want more of them? 
Yeah, this is a, a, a great point, and you're right. You just named three of the top five states. So the top five states for net uh, migration in are uh, Texas, Florida, Tennessee, Arizona, and I think North Carolina South cracked it, right? And then uh, shortly after that, it's Utah, uh, South Carolina. What do all those states have in common? Low taxes, low regulatory environment, low barriers to entry for employment, and it's a great place for people to raise your family yeah, right now. And right. I would argue um, Arizona has received our fair share plus from California. And there's always a concern that these blue voters come from California, yeah. move into a state like Arizona, and they, they ruin it. I don't think that's what the data shows. I think people who leave California for whether it's Arizona or Texas have been shown that they are not just diehard Democrats. They're people who know why they left. Um, they've come to love Arizona. They've come to love the way we do things. And hopefully they continue to vote that way. You know, we try our best to remind them. Um, if we're going blue, if we're watching our voting patterns change, it's not because of who's moving here. Arizona has always been over since I've been here and, and longer, over 70% of our state's from somewhere else. You know, it's one of those things when you meet a native, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rarity. Like my wife's a native. But here in uh, Arizona, 72% of us are from somewhere else. And that's because people didn't like where they were and they saw opportunity in Arizona and they've thrived. Well, you bring the right ones here. Uh, for those that seep through, uh, you bring them here and I'll, I'll convert them. How's that? that we'll, we'll, we'll split the job that way. Uh, but that makes a great political point, though, Danny. Um, doesn't it that to have that kind of environment uh it, the politics matters the state legislature matters the governor's uh the, the governor's tenure matters and doug ducey did an awful lot uh awful lot successfully getting us in into into great economic shape are we are we seeing any bit of a, a little bit of a slide you know, I wouldn't. It's too, it's too early to tell. Yeah. You know, we're the first year. Of course, into, the legislature it, matters, and we. Have, oh my gosh! Yeah. So we have. You're right. You're right, Seth. We have. And a, I say we. I have. <laughs> yeah. We have a new legislature. We have a new governor. You know, first time we've had split party in over 14 years. With, uh, you know, it goes back to Governor Napolitano the last time this happened. So the Republican-led legislature serves as a nice check to Governor Hobbs and vice versa. Sometimes the Republican-led legislature puts up some ideas that we don't support in our, our world, and she serves as a nice check to them. So, so far, I think it's yielded kind of good policy to have that check and balance against each other. I worry about it going, you know, one direction completely because we've seen what happens with that. We've seen California. We've seen Colorado. We've seen Michigan. Things like right to work, at-will employment, things that make our state great, they, they could all be at risk. So we have to be, we have to pay attention to that when we're voting for candidates on both sides of the aisle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The business and employment opportunities, the regulatory and tax uh, schematics of a state. Also, I think a lot of people who think about moving, especially if they're young families, is the education system. Mm -hmm. And you guys at the chamber have been on the forefront of education reform. You want to say a word or two about what you guys do and, or, or what your interests are in, in elementary and secondary education? You're absolutely right, Seth. When CEOs are making decisions or founders are making decisions about where they want to locate their company or grow their company. They want to know that their employees have a great place to get an education. Right. And what Arizona has done, I would say, better than anyone in the country, Florida maybe used to be above us, but we passed that, is we allow parental involvement and parental choice at a level not seen anywhere else. It's being duplicated a lot now. And our policies could be better and, and everything else. But by and large, we come with a parental involvement matters approach in Arizona. And that's great. You know, it, think of it like a consumer choice. When I'm looking at where to send my kid to school, we have open enrollment. We have um, high performing, some of the best charters in the country. And we have fantastic traditional public schools as well. Charters are public. But we, you, you look at all those options, and you're a parent, and you say, my kid is 
passionate about art. There's these schools over here. My kid is passionate about, wants to learn Mandarin. We have schools in the East Valley, you know, traditional public schools teaching that. We have so many options. We have open and parent can take the time to be involved in their kids' education and make those decisions they can. And yes, there's ESAs. Yes, there's other things that help people, um, especially if there's a, a special need or something they want. There's other options available to get some of their money back and are, aren't able to go there. But by and large, even you take the controversial right ESAs out, we, we are a parent-first education system, and that's a win. It is interesting how much opposition there is to the, to, 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 to the school choice environment we have here, whether it's uh, the columnists in the newspapers whether it's uh, some of the nonprofits in town. I had Ben Toma in here last, uh, Speaker Ben Toma in, uh, was it Thursday, David? I think it was Thursday of last week. And he was talking about some of the lies that they're dealing with on the school choice, you know, that it's a net cost to the state. He was pointing out how it's a net savings. And the forces against choice are amazingly strong. They they are. And I think anytime you want to change something, uh, that those opposed to it are going to pop up. And I think the strongest opposition you didn't mention was actually the teachers union. Yeah. You know, teachers union nationally uh, and locally have traditionally um, very strongly opposed school choice, you know, and you have a governor and a legislature and Speaker Tome is a great example of somebody who says, I don't want a kid to be trapped uh, by their zip code. Mm -hmm. If their zip code says you go to school X, but that's not the best school for their family, that's we're not going to leave them in that place. We're going to get them into a different place. And you know, on pure economics, you would think the money follows with the kid. And so that's why it's not a net loss. It is a tiny bit more complicated than that because of capital expenditures. You know, you're a public safety guy. I'll get back in my public safety mindset. People used to say, we could save so much money from the budget if we would just imprison less people. <laughs> not really. You know, you have to shut down a whole wing or a whole prison to get that savings because you're still paying the guards. You're still paying for the capital costs. And not to compare public schools to, to prisons, but it's a similar thought that you can't pull some of that capital funding away. So this is going to take a long time. I think they'll probably be changed. Changes, things will get figured out. But the, you know why we win is because parents are involved. Yeah, uh, and that is that is the first sign of a good school is does it welcome parent involvement? Does the school itself welcome parent involvement? Now you extrapolate that concept outward to the public policy of education. I could have, uh, should have probably mentioned the unions. I believe they've, they've cartelized education, except they haven't. They've cartelized something. But it's not education. Um, when you look at what their interests are, um, old uh, old union boss, uh, teachers union boss, former president of the AFT, Albert Shanker, he said it best when he said, as soon as students start paying union dues, they'll be my first interest. <laughs> let, me, let me take a quick commercial break. Danny Seidman, we'll come back on education and more. Joe Biden was here recently. I want to hear your take on that. Danny Seidman is my guest. He's the president and CEO of the Arizona Chamber, azchamber.com. Be right back. Oh, there's the old uh, Crocker Bank commercial. Danny Seiden is my guest. He's the president and CEO of the Arizona Chamber. You will find this interesting, Danny, a piece of trivia. Um, there, as far as I know, are only two commercial songs that, were stu- that started off as commercials that were so popular, they then became actual songs, recordable songs. So this was a Crocker Bank commercial in California 
that um, was written by Paul Williams. It was so popular that he then turned it over to the Carpenters. Oh, so the Carpenters, yes, and, hit. and the yeah. only other example I can think of is, do you want to take a guess? Oh, my. I feel like I would you'll get know it. this one more time. You'll yeah, know go it. for it. Yeah. I want to buy the world a Coke. Oh, my gosh. That, w- that was, yes. I mean, I'm, I'm Mr. Chamber right of Commerce. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> great, great, great board members. Love Coke Squire, yeah. It, it was a Coke commercial before it was a song by the I Want to Teach the World to Sing, I converted it over to the New Seekers. I don't know of another example of that, but I thought you'd get a kick out of that just as someone who likes music. And commerce. I, I do like both. And actually, I could give examples where I think commercials have helped bands get discovered, especially in indie music, which I love a oh, lot. Oh, yeah. You know? Give one. The, the, so the, I don't know indie music. You know, like there was an indie New York scene and you had the Walkman and, and music lovers were like, we know who the Walkman are. But We've Been Had got picked up by a Saturn commercial. It was really famous and they blew up over it. You uh-huh. know, there's a the Swedish band um, that had that Volkswagen da 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 commercial. There's yeah. a lot of those yeah. examples yeah, 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 yeah. Where, where these these commercials picked them up. Below. Uh, there's a band called Phoenix that was in a Cadillac commercial. It was fantastic. Yeah. Love yeah, it. 1901. Great uh, stuff. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Danny Seiden is the president and CEO of the Arizona Chamber. Twitter account at DB Seiden, S-E-I-D-E-N. I'm going to come back to education in a moment, but as long as I'm on your Twitter page, uh, people see a, a scenic, uh, a scenic uh, picture of Israel. Why do they see a scenic picture of Israel on the Arizona Chamber president's site? Oh, my gosh. I could give a lot of reasons. But the, that picture is from uh, 2015 in October, which was then Governor Ducey's first international trip outside Mexico. We went to Israel. First time a sitting governor had gone from Arizona. Governor Brewer, I think, tried but couldn't because of violence issues. And uh, it meant the world to me. I'd never been before. Um, but despite the fact of all we have to learn from Israel, it's a startup. They call themselves a startup nation. We call ourselves a startup state. They're a desert. We're a desert surrounded um, with challenges. Their challenges are a lot harder than ours on, on the border, yet they've managed it. But what they've been able to do with water is a great example. Talk you know? to us. Talk to us sure. about water. Not a small issue for Arizona. If you went to Israel in the early 2000s to almost late prior to 2010, you probably would have seen note cards on your sink that said, don't, don't use water when you brush your teeth. Right. Don't. It was all conservation, conservation, conservation. You go now, um, that's all gone, and they're uh, a donor state. They're, giving, they're helping give water to surrounding countries that have struggled, and they've done it through um, augmentation efforts like desalinization. And it's amazing that they can pull that off. So can we. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just to, just to clear there, I know a, a month ago, two months ago now, the governor. I was, yeah, Governor Hobbs. Yeah, go, go with it. So Governor Hobbs, um, when she came into office, you know, you inherit challenges. And uh, the director of um, Arizona Water Resources was able to show her that, you know, it looked like they're projecting shortfalls in a couple of our unincorporated areas for Maricopa County near Phoenix. So I think it was about a 4% total shortfall in a couple of these managed areas. 4% over, by the way, 100 years. We only stay in the whole country. Only stay in the whole country where you get a 100-year assured water supply. You know, uh, California, nowhere near that. Texas, nowhere near that. You know, and both states have challenges with water. However, um, we require 100 years for new residential builds. And that's a good thing. You, you know you're going to have water in 100 years. So um, that study showed there was a 4% shortfall projected for some plans. And so they were going to um, review and slow things down. It's really important to note that that is a tiny amount. And if we use less water now in 2023 than we did in 1957 with the population that is, you know, up by, you know, multiple, multiple, you know, million, that should show you that 4% will be solved. Yeah. 4% is We are using sol- less water now. We are 100%. We were in the 1950s with more people and more golf courses. <laughs> more people, more golf courses. And, you know, 
the, the primary water user in the state is ag. You know, over 70% is used for ag, which is a very important industry. It's, one of, it's two of the five Cs, depending, or three of the five Cs, if citrus, cotton, cattle, depending on how you look at it. And they're getting more efficient. They're using things, another gift from Israel, drip technology, drip irrigation, right? So, you know, there's great Israeli companies, Endrip and others, that come in, they show farmers for using drip irrigation technology, you require less fertilizer and you get a higher yield. Mm-hmm. Um, University of Arizona has partnered with a, a couple different companies on studies. And we're going to see this conversion from uh, farmers um, becoming smarter with water use and how they, you know, can can manage their crops. So we're uh, not on an ocean, but does desalinization make more sense here? I mean, a hundred percent. It should be all of the above. The only the thing that kills desalinization conversations in America sometimes is there was the the first one that I think was operational nearest was in San Diego, yeah, right. and like everything with California. Um, 10 times more expensive than it needs to be, 10 times more complicated, and 10 times more regulated. Yep. So I think that um, I know Arizona is in talks with Mexico um, and private funders to create a desalization and a pump line out of that deep water port there. And it's, it's, it'll you know, go through every environmental review uh, about what the brackish you know, um, removal does to the environment. And in Israel, they've done all that same thing. Right now, you go to Israel, Seth, I, I went again not too long ago, visited Tel Aviv, uh, went by a desalinization plant, was able to drink water that came out of the Mediterranean Sea less than an hour before that. Right out of the tap, tastes delicious. I have bottles of it at my house and home. I kind of smuggled it back just to show people what's capable. So I think we're going to have uh, Gulf of Mexico water here in Arizona. We could only get the Israelis oil, then we'd be. Yeah. <laughs> then then, the, then the, it wouldn't be a desert experience, I suppose. No, no, not at all. <laughs> I suppose they have all the water. They... Joe Biden was here. President Biden was here, Danny Seiden, uh, August, uh, about a week ago. Um, Northern Arizona National Monument. Talk to us about this. So I, I should should state outright that this monument declaration in some form or another has been in the works going back to President Obama. Mm-hmm. But back then, both then-Governor Ducey, um, at the time Senator McCain, rest in peace, uh, and other members of our delegation, I mean, threatened lawsuits. They fought tooth and nail against it, and um, he ended up not going forward with it. So here we are, you know. As you said last week, the president came, made a declaration, and it's not something we're thrilled about. And I'll, I'll give a couple reasons why. F- first and foremost, you know, Arizona controls about 20% of its land total, total. You know, the rest is public, whether it's federal or state. But I think we're number eight on states that have the majority of their, or the, the most land controlled by the federal government. So when they come in and make a declaration like this, essentially taking off land that could have been used for grazing, mining, and, and other things, that's a real problem. And the Antiquities Act, which allows the president to do this, when it was created, it was for um, things of real, um, you know, scientific and historical and all these other purposes. And no one would argue the Grand Canyon is not beautiful. No one would argue it's not worthy of that. This is not the Grand Canyon. This is a different area, and it's non-contiguous. So we're talking near a million acres of non-contiguous land that has just been checkerboarded into being a national monument. And so we do take exception with that. And no one wants to be the face of uranium mining because it has a not great history. Um, However, you know, that was a long time ago. We need to recognize that if we want to move to energy independence, we want to move to uh, you know not being able to have our national security dependent on a place like Russia, where we import the majority of, of this product from, then we need to mine for these critical minerals here. If we want to be able to produce electric vehicles to help us make the environmental shifts that the Biden administration seems very focused and passionate about, we need critical minerals here. So um, yeah, we were not thrilled with that designation. And um, you know, neither were Governor Cox in Utah or Senator Mitt Romney, not known to 
to be far-right conservatives, <laughs> but what they do care about are grazing issues. And, well, and hold that issues. thought right there. Can I keep you a little longer? Absolutely. Danny yeah. Seiden is my guest. We'll pick up on that. We just have a commercial break we got to take, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Danny Seiden is my guest, S-E-I-D-E-N. He is the CEO and president of the Arizona Chamber of Commerce. We were just having a discussion off air about politics. I, it's Danny, you, you, you're articulate on a wide range of issues. I'm going to ask you about a few more. Is it, har- is it harder? Did you grow up that way? Did you just grow up loving politics? Do you have a poli side? How do you stay up on everything as expertly as you do? Well, first, I think you're being... It's hard. No, it's hard to do. I mean, how I, to be conversant on everything from water to land use to... No, you're, you're being very you're complimentary. I'll say, I'll say this. I grew up loving to read. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's, that's really it, it for me. It, it kind of did harm in the sense I can never be a specialist in anything. Okay. You know, if I had one area of topic, I would get very bored with it. So um, I, I grew up really loving to, to, to learn. Yeah. And I, if someone brings something up, you know, if anyone, and it happens every day, there's a ton I don't know. If someone brings something up, I'm like, I'd like to know more about that. Then I'll get sucked into reading it. And then, you know, I know just enough. I'm like, a, was it, you know, a mile wide inch deep on a lot of things. I but, so. but I love the topics. I love to learn. And, um, you who know, are, who are the influential writers that you liked reading growing oh, up? Oh, for me? Oh, gosh. I mean, I was really into classicals when I was a yeah, kid. So, yeah. um, I mean, my favorite authors were <laughs> Faulkner yeah. and F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. I mean, I love, I loved, I loved, I, you you're know, a Great Gatsby I, fan? I'm a huge Great Gatsby fan. I'm a huge Tender as the Night fan. Yeah. Those are books I, yeah, yeah. I love and collect. As I got a little bit older, I got more into Russian. So like Dostoevsky, yeah. The Brothers Karamazov is my favorite book. It's a, it's a tough read, but it's beautiful and poignant. It moves me. Victor Hugo, Les Mis is probably, you know, tied for my favorite book sometimes if you ask. But I also like Charles Dickens. Great Expectations is one of my all-time favorite books. It's sitting in my office right now. So yeah, I love in my books. younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice I've been turning over in my head lately. He said, whenever you feel like criticizing someone, just remember not everyone has had the same advantages in life as you. That's the opening to The Great Gatsby. There's no book I've memorized more than The Great Gatsby. We're on the same page. With oh, that. I, I love, I love that, I love that you that you use that quote. Um, I, I we think, could all use that quote a little more. I think. Yeah, and in I life, think you know, j- I, you never I mean, know what someone's going through, right? You, you don't. No, you don't. And uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald is a fantastic writer. Fantastic at writing tragically flawed men. Maybe why I like it so much. Yeah, you know, I, can sure. ad- I can identify so many times. But uh, just Do you ever reread some of these? I was rereading The Catcher in the Rye the other day. I mean, I get something new out of that. I get something new out of all of these guys. I do. I, I, I do reread them, especially if I find myself in an odd season. Mm-hmm. You know, so you take a, a year of political turmoil like we've had here and I'm looking for inspiration. I'll go back. I'll, I'll reread. I have them marked off sometimes, too. If I really want to quote or I want to go back and feel that inspiration again, getting to the scene between Jean Valjean and the priest yeah. at the very – I want to say beginning of Lehman is a couple hundred pages in, but that's just how he writes. Um, it's beautiful. It's all about grace and, the, and the, the power of, you know, how giving someone a second chance can literally change their whole life and change the course of so many other people's lives. In uh, Dostoevsky, you know, the Great Inquisitor chapter, I've reread that probably a hundred times just to see, you know, sometimes the only response we have to all the problems in the world is to give someone a hug and a kiss yeah. like Alyosha does with Ivan. I mean, uh, and then Great Gatsby. I, I don't know. I think I've read it probably five or six times. I've read Tender as the Night twice, but you brought up The Catcher in the Rye. That was my favorite book. No and kidding. At a moment in time, I, like so many other kids. I've probably read it five times. Yeah, I was like, this book is me. I, yeah. I get it. I'm, I'm battling against phonism yeah. too. This is yeah. one of those ones that changes a little bit because I got an older. I'm like, you know. I bet like, the ending changed the second time you read it. I bet. Well, I, I don't think I picked up on the right. a, a psychiatric. No one did. No one did the first time. 
It, no one picked up on it the first yeah. time that he's in a psych ward. Yeah. I, I wanted to write like a fake sequel. I had a great, great books class at Pepperdine. And I wanted to write for, for you know, you were, it was, this time it was almost to do like a fan fiction thing. I had this thought. I was like, what if Holden Caulfield grew up and worked yeah. at Enterprise Rental Car? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because yeah. the idea that he has to grow up and face reality, I've always loved that. My friends who are listening will die laughing because I used to pitch the idea all the time. I think that would be that would I mean he had the one book in him pretty much that was it though right and uh, nine stories maybe but uh, I always thought the same about Benjamin Braddock in The Graduate if if there were ever a sequel you and I probably don't agree on music maybe movies yeah you, I what, think what so. would be one or two favorite movies uh, my all, my all time favorite movie speaking of books it, you know is Shawshank Redemption okay. and it came out of a Stephen King yeah, story sure. so I love that I love um, my gosh I mean I could go it, it, movies are like what, what are you? I love Glory yeah. I, you know I absolutely love Glory yeah. if it, if it's on I'm going to be inspired I'm not going to change the channel same with Shawshank Redemption those those tales kind of move me a lot but I, I'll and our mutual friends know this I'll go watch anything I yeah. love movies you know I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet been waiting for the right time and the right you know settings I want it to be special because I love Christopher Nolan I loved all of his movies um, you know I, I, I did see I did see Barbie you know so I've, I've, I've been something I wrong about a man sitting across from me who saw Barbie but not uh, Oppenheimer my wife's you have yeah, yeah. okay yeah. fair enough um, one more segment I want to talk to you if, can you say one yeah, more yeah, all sure. right I want to talk to you a little bit about military a little bit about chips a little bit about the East Valley Great. Danny Seiden is my guest. He's the president and CEO of the Chamber of Commerce here in Arizona. And um, it's hard to find anything to criticize him on, so I think I found one. He <laughs> saw Barbie before Oppenheimer. That will live on in the annals of this show, Danny Seiden. Uh, we'll be right back. Perfect. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Danny Seiden is my guest. He's the president and CEO of the Arizona Chamber of Commerce. AZChamber.org is the website, and or AZChamber.com, I'm sorry. Um, and I wanted to talk to you about a couple other things, Danny. Um, so I grew up here and then moved away after high school and only moved back about a decade or so ago. Um, the East Valley, the growth in the East Valley, I mean, never mind North Scottsdale, that's its own thing, but the chips, uh, the chip manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about sure, chamber no, policy to attract all that kind of business and keep it here. So, you know, there's a great quote by an economist that uh, capital goes where it's most uh, wanted and stays where it's most welcome. Okay. And I think Arizona has proved that that theory out. You, you look at it in Intel. It's been in the East Valley for over 40 years. Really, the city of Chandler grew up around, in, you know, I should say expanded around Intel, who continues to make investment after investment in our state and continues to be a great steward. Talk about water. I always have to say Intel is water positive. They give more back than they take out, so they're a good corporate citizen. But um, they're here because we've passed policies that make it um, known that this is a great place to come and have a, a manufacturing facility. And why? Because manufacturing jobs pay more. They pay, you know, sometimes twice as much as the other uh, non-farm workers on the private sector. And so they're worthwhile. So when you have an Intel announcing a new $20 billion over the you know, next few years, you have a TSMC announcing $40 billion, right, which is the second largest, I think, foreign direct investment in the United States in history. It, they, they know that Arizona is a great place to come and do business. And why? 
chips are so important. They're in everything. We saw it in the pandemic. If you tried to buy a car or a, you know, a washing machine, you couldn't get anything because there was a semiconductor shortage. So recognizing the national security and economic security needs to have uh, on short here a you know, semiconductor supply chain, it's, it's, it's a huge... You must worry a little bit about that with regard to Taiwan, too, I would imagine. Oh, oh very much so. You know, it, it was in the news uh, earlier today, one of the presidential candidates ta- talking about how um, Taiwan, until we become... He said until we become, I would argue, past that. But until we become semiconductor independent here in America, Taiwan has to be protected at all costs. I, I think there's a lot of reasons Taiwan has to be protected uh, at same. all, all, right. all, all right. costs. I'm not afraid to say that. But right. I think the, the recognition you're seeing in a presidential race that semiconductors is about national security has led for this bipartisan push um, from centers like Cinema, Senator Mark Kelly, to, to recognize how important it is to get these uh, fabs up and running mm-hmm. so that we are not dependent on China. We are not dependent on Southeast Asia for our manufacturing, for things that go into our missiles and um, not just cars and, and, and refrigerators, but satellites, missiles, everything. And that's what's exciting. They're being made here. Yep. Um, you know, Raytheon is here, Mercury Systems here. A lot of, a lot of that's happening right here. It's very, very Speaking of the national state, not a lot of people think of Arizona as, as, as a military state, but from Wachuca to uh, Luke, right? We have yep. a big military footprint here. We, we, we do. We have, you know, three separate uh, missions. And you mentioned Luke and, and Wachuca. But I think, you know, to throw in my world on top of that, we're actually top five for aerospace defense, nice. you know, here in, yep. here, in the, here in the state. A lot of that does tie into those bases. And Senator McCain fought for them for us. And, and, and we're grateful for him for that. But, um, you know, that's an industry that's growing right now. It's just at the Paris Air Show on an economic mission, hearing from company after company that's looking to, to grow their manufacturing base, and Arizona's on their list. Uh, so I think we, we're going to be competitive. We're always working against Texas, and who you got to watch right now is the Southeast. Yeah. I mean, Alabama's blowing up right now yeah. with aerospace defense. Huntsville. Huntsville. People don't yep. realize Huntsville might be one of the greatest concentrations of PhDs. I mean, everyone likes to make fun. Not everyone. A lot of people like to look down on places like Alabama. I think they may have a higher per capita population of PhDs than maybe Cambridge. Maybe. You, you know, you're, you're right. Huntsville, uh, you, you, I was saying almost the exact same time as you, Huntsville is this, uh, just a boom town for aerospace oh. defense right now. And one thing that we can compete with them on is, this is where I'm going to say something nice about ASU for you. ASU has- <laughs> Bleep uh, that, David. Yeah, they are now looking- <laughs> Seven second delay. Yeah, they're going to graduate 30,000 engineers over uh-huh. the next few years. And that, that makes us competitive on the talent pipeline. That's where we have Alabama. We do, we are producing the talent here locally with the metropolis like phoenix they're not there yet but they'll get there if we're not careful if we go to sleep on this competition that you're seeing i mean look germany just announced major incentives to try and lure tsmc to them and the eu has recognized if you lower your tax rates those countries with the lowest corporate income tax rates like uh, ireland they're seeing booms in manufacturing so i think germany is going to get on the same page danny uh paris i also understand in some of your spare time you like to do work in some countries people don't always think about is going on vacation some possibly orphanage work and you want to say something about no, that? No, uh, thank you so much, Seth. Absolutely. I'm my right to say Kenya? Is it, it Kenya? Kenya is yeah. What what it how this all came about for me, my my best friend who grew up you know, similar, similarly with, you know, not always both parents at home or a stable home, it runs an organization called Orphan Outreach International. They're based out of Dallas. It's an NGO. And he focuses on several countries. And they, they try and help vulnerable children. It's not the old school model where the West just needs to adopt all these kids. What they really focus on doing is giving them stable places and safe places to get an education, safe places to get water. And that way the community can take over that continuum of care model, which is now the Hague's even saying, 
you can't just come to a country and adopt a kid, you know, if you don't haven't lived here before. So with orphan outreach, I've been to a few countries, but I went to Kenya for the first time right after Governor Ducey was elected. It was like my 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 break. My my friend suggested it. And I fell in love. I fell in love with the people. I fell in love with the countryside. You know, I uh, went with a team of doctors who um, go into, you know, inner, inner slum areas inside Nairobi. And they make sure the kids are getting clean access to One of the worst medicine. slums in the world is, is it, in that area. It, it is. It, it 100%, 100% is. They have a couple that are pretty bad. And, but, you know, it's not bad. Is the the kids? Yeah. They are happy. Yeah. They just want someone to pay attention to them. It, you know, some people will, will question. Well, you you're not going to go there and be their savior. No, I'm not. They're saving me. When I when I go to Kenya, I come back refreshed. I come back energized and excited to help. And yeah, we've raised money to to give them a drill so they can get to clean water in the slum area. And you go out to rural Kenya in in Bogoma, and we've raised money for drills out there as well for for clean water. But mo- most importantly, um, you know, just getting people access to to them and them access to to professionals uh, h- help to support them as they go to school and achieve their dreams. It's a great country. They have amazing natural resources, uh, but their best resource of all is their people. I mean, if you could export the happiness you get from the people of Kenya, I'd take it. I haven't looked at one of these surveys. I don't even know if they still do them. They probably do. Uh, uh, Global Attitude Surveys. And I was remember when I used to watch this stuff or read this stuff a little more closely, I was surprised to see that I think uh, the country with the, at the time I was looking at it, the country with the highest positive attitude of America was Kenya. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, I can tell you when I went the first time, the they did have this admiration for former President George W. Yeah, Bush, sure. who spent a lot of time getting um and and you know this doesn't get talked about a lot by by people who who hate the former president, but he worked really hard to get them access to pharmaceutical drugs mm-hmm. that saved their lives to help yeah. with the AIDS epidemic, yeah. Yeah. and um they do remember that he is well thought of over there. You can see you can see it in buildings, pictures of him up and everything. It's it's great. I'm, I'm not criticizing any other president on what they do with foreign policy. That's just something he's yeah. known for, and I think that's a, a good thing. That, as I was uh, explained, have I had explained to me, and also the way we helped them after the embassy bombings in '98, mm. um, they got a good view of Americans and what we were able to do. Well, I hope the audience got a good view of you today, Danny Side, and thank you for being with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Seth. I'm happy to come on anytime, and anytime uh, thank you, you so want. much for the op- opportunity. And I would only add, if people want to help out locally, look look to what's happening in Maui with the fires. Yep. Our sister chamber of commerce good. there is raising money for the businesses. So, good, yep. good, good, good. And I do want to talk to you about a lot more things as well so we will have you back soon danny thank you Seiden, so much thank you you betcha be right back speaking of the economy with the bank failures and the stock market's volatility people are talking about a recession and speculating on it and of course the inflation which have spiked up again uh, what if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, not correlated to the stock market or the Fed, any of that stuff? Why Refi has that? They have an investment in a portfolio you'll, where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. No loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, which is a due diligence-approved firm. You can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Just check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. We're going to test young David here. Young David, having had the head of the Chamber of Commerce here, who's known for saying that... um, and it's a corruption of it. The business of America is business. 
Calvin Coolidge. Oh, really? And it's a it's a cribbed quote. It was used against him um, wrongly because the progressives hated him, which makes him an even better man than he already was. He was. People thought it was a you know just a thing about that's that's all we care about is business. It was a discussion he was having at um, the National Association of Newspapers or some newspaper type society. And he was talking about the importance of um, against propaganda. It was a great speech. And at the end of the day, he's talking about advertising and the importance of having papers that don't propagandize so that they can secure advertising, which is trustworthy. And he said, after all, the chief business of America, of the American people is business. They are profoundly concerned with producing, buying, selling, investing, and prospering in the world. But it was really about honesty. It's really about honesty and uh, the absence of fraud, both in the news reporting as in the advertising. That's good. I thought maybe you might know it just because you've been on a kind of 1920s kick lately. <laughs> Throw, <laughs> no, I, I, throwing I, I, a lot of information at me vis-a-vis Calvin, in re, Calvin Coolidge. and No, but now, now tomorrow I'll have to bring out my uh, Al Smith pins or something. <laughs> Al Smith tomorrow? Maybe, yeah. maybe. Is he the original Happy Warrior? I yes, think so. he yeah. was the original. Then it was Hubert Humphrey. Yeah. Al Smith. Uh, okay, we have a lot more coming right up. Thank you, David. Uh, we will be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com. 